stay attached to the true vine. We can't do anything without him. Amen. Thank God for that message on the Godhead. Brother Carol. For the message from Brother Schweitzer on unity and how we must stay together. Message last night from Brother Buxton so encouraged and strengthened me. I feel I'm probably not the only one that got just what they needed from the Lord last night. What a what a wonderful visitation of the presence of God during the offering. That was wonderful. Thank God for that. And this morning, Brother Shield, thank you so much for your lesson on bread. Amen. I want to say I love the fellowship of brethren that are here and that are preaching this message of holiness, this gospel of Jesus Christ. I love and appreciate what we stand for. Amen. And I pray that somehow this morning, if God will be my help and add something your basket to take home with you. Amen. I am probably the most surprised and shocked to be standing here. And I just want to obey God. I don't want to disappoint Him. Amen. And uh, I do appreciate the invitation. It's honoring and humbling to be here. Is anybody going to help me this afternoon? Oh, yes. I need, I need the help of the Lord, and I sure like the help from the church. Amen. Since you have your Bibles, why don't you turn in them to Hebrews chapter 12 for a verse of Scripture. Take a text from. I, while you're turning there, want to just let you know I'm not fancy. This won't be astounding or anything of the sort, but I will preach the truth and do my best at it. Amen. I want to say I'm especially honored to have my sweet wife with me. Amen. Besides the Holy Ghost, the best thing that happened to me is her. Amen. God gave me a perfect wife for me. And, uh, so thankful. If we ever achieve anything in life at South Florida, she's a big part of why. I love her. Thank God for her. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse number 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless the remainder of this service together. Jesus, I love you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your people. Your word is anointed, God. It's forever settled in heaven. I'm asking that your anointing rest on this house that we have set aside as a 
house of worship this week. Touch me, God. Touch us, God. Touch our hearts to receive your word. Touch our ears to receive your word. And we'll forever be grateful. And give you the thanks and the praise. God are in the glory. And let the church say amen. If you're going to help me, you can be seated in Jesus' name. I'm so thankful for a heritage of truth, for a pastor that taught me not only by doctrine but by lifestyle the beauty and the necessity of holiness. I'm so thankful for a man of God in my life that what he preached in the pulpit at the church, he lived at the house in front of my sister and I and my mother. I heard all of my life it was holiness or hell, and I believe that, and I thank God for it. One of the most beautiful messages that this world could ever hear is the message of holiness. One of the best examples that this world could ever see is a life lived in the fear of God and in a spirit and attitude of holiness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 7 says, For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Psalm 24 and verse 2 said, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So we know that holiness is beautiful. And we know that holiness is clean. Psalm 47 and 8 says God's throne is holy. 48 and 1 of Psalms said that his mountain is holy. 60 and 6 of Psalms says God hath spoken in his holiness. His word, his voice, his message is holy. We know that God has provided a way, for Isaiah said that an highway shall be there and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. And he stated that the unclean shall not pass over it. Amen, that it would be a road and a way that the redeemed would walk upon. Thank God for this way of holiness. Second Corinthians chapter number 7 and verse number 1 said, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Or in other words, God, help us to cleanse ourselves from everything that would contaminate anything that would defile both our body and also our spirit and to bring into consecration and dedication a completeness, a thoroughness, a maturity in the fear of God. Oh, hallelujah. Is this all right? Thank God for holiness. The writer in the book of Ephesians was talking about the moral condition of the Gentile people. And he said not to walk like they do in the vanity of their mind. Profitless thinking, empty thoughts, frivolity. And they have their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Stating that they would be past feeling. That they would give themselves over unto lasciviousness. And that they would give themselves over to work uncleanness and greediness. But he said, we have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, 
that ye putting off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So I understand according to the writer that we could uh, view and witness a false holiness. I want that true holiness. God help me today to live a life not of self-made holiness or self-aggrandizing holiness or self-justifying holiness. But God, let us preach a message. Let us live a life. Walk a walk and talk a talk of true holiness. Both on the inside that manifests itself on the outside. True holiness. And I think it not insignificant that the writer went on to say, said, wherefore putting away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. I need you. You need me. We're a part of God's family. I need you to survive. I don't know how you feel about it. But I've got to maintain an environment where you and I are together. Amen. We're fighting a very real adversary. We're fighting a very real force of darkness. And our chances for survival are so much better if I realize that I need you, that I don't want anything to come between us, that I don't want attitudes or spirits or schisms to drive a wedge between you and I. I don't want to entertain the thought of trying to walk this on my own, that I've got all of the answers and I've got this thing by the, by the tail. I need good brethren to fight beside. Oh, hallelujah. But if you have lived very long, you're going to realize that if you're going to have a relationship with anybody on any level, it's going to endure some challenges. People affect people. Amen. The best and the most beautiful part of the church is the variety of people in it. The biggest challenge in the church are the variety of people that are in it. Well, hallelujah, I came to preach this morning. And the writer went on to say, be angry and sin not. And let not the sun go down upon your wrath. And then this next scripture is key, I believe, to our our passage right here. And it says, neither give place to the devil. He's talking about togetherness. He's speaking of unity. He goes to the topic of anger and sin. And then he directly states that we ought not give place or lend opportunity to. Open the door to the devil. Oh, hallelujah. He's roaming about, as the writer Peter said, Seeking whom he may devour. But he said resist steadfast in the faith. Knowing that these same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. There's one thing certain. We all have the same type of struggles. We all deal with the same type of emotions. We all have opportunity for offenses to come. We all have opportunity and we are vulnerable to a man fits of emotion. The Bible doesn't teach that it is a sin to be angry. But you cannot stay angry and stay free from sin. Well, hallelujah. I feel like the Lord has given me something to preach to this conference today and confirmed it several times already this week. But I'm reminded of the scripture that Paul wrote in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And verse number 10, he said, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, 
For your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Oh, hallelujah. We are not ignorant of his devices. I do not desire to allow Satan to get an advantage. And it is up to me to see to it that he does not. Greater is he that is in me. I'm not greater than he. But he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Our text of scripture said, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We preach a lot about holiness that's mentioned in the scripture. We believe that without holiness we are not going to see the Lord. But the same scripture that demands of us holiness first says that we are to follow peace with all men, not just our fellowship, not just other oneness fellowships, but all men. I believe his choice of wording is not insignificant in that peace is elusive. When you think you've got it, don't turn your head very long. Because you'll turn around and look where peace once was. And peace won't be there. So you have to have in your heart a willingness to be one that seeks peace. One that ensues peace. One that will be willing to take up pieces of nothing. When it looks like it would be more convenient to turn your back and walk away. To be willing to look for something to put with another. And say, whatever it is I have to do, God help me to be willing in my spirit to follow peace. Wherever peace is at, that's where I want to be. I want to be holy, but I want to be sure that my holiness is true holiness. saturate us with a spirit of holiness true holiness not self-righteousness not self-importance it's hard to look to God for help while at the same time looking down at your brother I read in this text of scripture that it was the writer's desire and intent to lift up hands that were hanging down and confirming and strengthening and solidifying the feebleness of knees and making straight paths that we could walk on with our feet lest the lame be turned out of the way but he said let it rather be healed when we are walking With an attitude and spirit of unforgiveness. I read from the context of this scripture that the path we are walking on is not a straight path. That the feet that we are, legs that we are standing on and the knees that support us are feeble. That the hands that we need to be busy involving in the kingdom of God and his work. Rather than being active and involved, those hands would be hanging down. All of this goes together. And holiness and peace. Isaiah, the 32nd chapter and the 17th verse, if my memory serves me correctly, states that the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance... Forever. 
I want to live my life with an, a forever type of assurance. My salvation and my hope and my outlook, I want it to be permeated with an environment of security in my salvation. An assurance in my faith. To have that, I need to dwell in a peaceful place. And the writer said that the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of it, quietness and assurance forever. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome, I believe it is in the 14th chapter in the 17th verse. He said, for the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace. Somebody say peace. And joy in the Holy Ghost. We understand that our faith is not a faith of feeling. But our walk of faith in our life of faith, two-thirds of that kingdom involves emotion, involves feeling. One cannot live for God very long. One cannot work for God very long and not find opportunity to be wounded, find opportunity to be hurt, to be slighted, to be wronged. To be dealt with unethically by another man of God. To be hurt by the people you're trying to help. When you have given your life to a group of people and somebody does something and just gets right down into your heart and spirit. We are, we are given a, a custom made opportunity to get it right. But we are also handed an opportunity to go off the mark. Oh, help me preach today. It's no mistake, Brother Godair, that you said that you felt in the Holy Ghost for us to come up around the front and pray for a spirit of forgiveness. Elder, it's no mistake. I believe the Lord allowed you to preach about the bread of forgiveness to give me a little more peace in my spirit to know that though this may not seem like a summit-type sermon, we are all men. And we all have opportunity to go wrong. And can I tell you the reason why Hebrews chapter 12 in our text said, look diligently. That means to pay a lot of attention to. Take a close look at the situation at hand. Lest there be a root of bitterness. Bitterness comes as the result of unforgiveness. Oh, hallelujah. I'm an imperfect man preaching to imperfect men. But if you'll just grant me the leeway to minister in the Holy Ghost what I feel the Lord has placed on my heart. Bitterness is the silent killer of the child of God. Bitterness does not first manifest on the outside. But the danger and the need for diligence and looking out for it is that it's an internal thing. It's a thing that can be eaten at you alive day after day, week after week, year after year, until it starts affecting every part of you. I've sit for hours and wondered at this man Esau, and I've thought, how could Esau do what Esau did? What was he thinking the day that he gave up his inheritance? What was going through his mind while he was out in the field not getting anything for his efforts that would make him come back and act in such an impulsive way that would say things like, for I'm faint and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Can I tell you, brothers and sisters in the Lord, there is nothing worth giving up our birthright. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is nothing that can happen or has happened or even will happen that is ever worth developing an attitude and a spirit that says, what's the use anyway? Esau, as a result of responding to his, his, uh, his appetites, not ruling his own uh, emotion, sold his birthright. He made a bad decision. He made a bad bargain. Jesus asked this question 
In Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 26, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And then he said, and what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Esau had a lacking of appreciation for who he was, for what he was, and whose he was. He had something that was so special that his impulsiveness allowed him opportunity to give it away. And what he gave it away for was so small and so insignificant. Hallelujah to God. And Genesis 25 and 34 said, Thus Esau despised his birthright. He held it in disesteem. He held it in dis, 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 dismay. He held it with scorn. He was flippant and cavalier about his identity. I'm not ashamed to be who I am. Holiness is not unattractive. But my Bible teaches that it's a beautiful thing. And gives me instruction. That I have promises and since I have these promises that I am tasked with the job of perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. With the grace of God, the wonderful grace of God, the all-encompassing grace of God. The apostle Peter makes this statement, said that we are troubled by manifold temptation. Every type of every shade of every color of temptation is going to come your way. But I'm thankful later on in his epistle he said we have manifold grace. In other words, there's a grace of God to match every shade of temptation that comes your way. Can I tell you the most often faced temptation that a child of God will face is the opportunity to let the seed of bitterness... Take root in your heart. While we clap our hands and run the aisles and preach beautiful sermons, we can do all of that while harboring hurt and harboring pain. If there's anybody that ought to be diligent to look for a root of bitterness, it ought to be a man of God. Not only will it defile, corrupt, contaminate his spirit eventually, but because he's pouring out of himself week after week, there are many, the potential is so great for spiritual contamination to take over. The time that we live in, the church's greatest hour, I believe, is in now. I'm glad that I was born to this generation. It matters not what's going on in our world. It's not going to change the church. There's a lot of changes going on in ministerial fellowships, but if we can keep from getting distracted by it, and keep our eyes on the task at hand. Focus on the man in the mirror. And if we can get him right and keep him right. Our efforts will be blessed by God. I said our efforts. Paul said that God's grace is sufficient. The things that you pray for that prick you deep that you wish would go away. God said my grace will fix that. If you'll let it, it will soothe the pain. It will heal the wound. It will cause the hurt to eventually go away. But we've got to be willing to let it. We've got to be willing to let it. I've got so much to say and I don't want to take too much time. But I read in this passage something that startles me. That we are to look diligently lest any man fail the grace of God. Let me tell you this truth. The grace of God will not fail you. Ever. It will always match whatever shade of temptation comes your way. But we have in us the potential to fail it. 
failing the grace of God. And if you allow me just to preach what I feel and what I see, if it's wrong, they'll fix it later. But failing the grace of God is allowing the root of bitterness to take root in your heart and to grow as the end result of not forgiving something that was done to you. Failure to forgive will make one bitter. Bitterness is a root. That means it's under the surface. Bitterness is a root. That means it's a growing thing. It's something that needs to be nourished. It's something that needs to be fed. Once it grows and takes root, there's all kinds of things that can grow from that root. Though it doesn't manifest initially, you can't keep it hidden forever. I believe that is why our New Testament targets uh, Christianity with this uh, commandment. Ephesians 4 and 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. With all malice. Hebrews 12 and 15. In our text. Lest any root of bitterness spring up. From what I can understand about the Hebrew rendering of the word bitterness. It lends to mean. To trickle in. To seep in. The silent. The dangerous. Killer. And I am to understand that the Greek word that we derive the word bitterness from is a verb meaning to pierce, to stake, to peg down to the ground. So we understand some things happen and they seep into our spirit over a period of time. And then there are things that take place that we can look back at a moment and we can point to it and say, that got me and it, and it hurt. There's no sin to be hurt. But there's danger in staying hurt. This morning, if God will help me, I want to preach to you the forgiveness factor. Forgiveness is to stop feeling angry, to cease from being resentful to and towards somebody because of something they have done wrong. Forgiveness is not a statement that what they did was all right. Forgiveness is not for the offender, but forgiveness is for the offended. By me saying I forgive you, I'm not acknowledging that you are all right in what you did. But what I'm saying, since you did something wrong, I'm not going to use it as justification. To remain hurt at you for it. Forgiveness is for me, not you. People live their lives being hurt and offended by others. Right now in this room, the chances are very high. Somebody carried with you to this conference. Something in your past that you're carrying as baggage. Somebody did something. A family member abused you, misused you, was, was unfaithful to you. A neighbor, a brother or a sister had done something that anybody would look at and say, there's no justifying that. Some of them may be dead and gone in their grave, but yet they still are alive and well, and they're alive and well in your mind. They come with you everywhere they go. I come to preach to somebody today. The best thing that you can ever do for yourself is give somebody forgiveness that you never get a repentant apology from. Some way, somehow, You've got to learn to let it go. The writer said, casting your care upon him, for he careth for you. You cannot cast something that you will not turn loose of. It's one thing to say, I forgive you. But it's another thing to let go of it. And today in this service, I believe the Holy Ghost would be in this room to help somebody to not just say I forgive you but commit themselves to the process of forgiveness oh hallelujah a factor 
I want to preach forgiveness factor. A factor is a circumstance, is a fact, or an influence that will contribute to a, to a result, to a desired result, to a preferred, can I use that word preferred, outcome. Forgiveness factor. I believe that our desired result is found in our text, verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 12. And that is, we want to see the Lord. When it is all said and done, brothers, I got to make it to heaven. I don't want all of my labor to be for nothing. I don't want all the hours of commitment, study and prayer to be wadded up and thrown away for just a bowl of beans. What is a man willing to exchange his soul for, Jesus said. When you get right down to the nitty gritty and you start examining what it is that is causing people to fail. Causing people to throw away what they're throwing away. It shocks me to no end when you find out the truth of the matter. You look at it and say, how could that cause him to be offended? How could that trip him up? What would, he, what would he make that kind of decision for? Oh, hallelujah. I, I, I want to be careful about what I'm getting ready to say, but this is the source of my burden. Hallelujah. I've been noticing a trend in our society, a social trend, and it is is strange to me. It shocks even the most calloused of our society. Back in April of 1999, there was a young man by the name of Eric Harris, along with his friend, Dylan Kleibold. And they, they did something that is beyond explanation. If you think about it very long, you're, you're going to realize you can think about it for the rest of the day and you'll never find a justifiable cause for what these two young men did in Columbine High School. Before that day, there were known to be just a couple of American high school seniors they were only two weeks away from graduation, or so those that knew him believed to be so. But according to uh, research and uncovering the facts, they found out that well over a year before the shooting at Columbine High School took place, these boys had been making detailed plans. They wrote in their journals horrifying things of what their intentions were. They, they, were, they were making videos about what they were going to do to the people at the school where they went to. And according to their hate-filled journals and the videos that they made, they left behind this statement that they wanted to take revenge on the people that had picked on them, that had bullied them, that had excluded them from the group. I heard that last night during the preaching. What a beautiful message. What a beautiful illustration. And then on July 20th of this past year, there was a young man by the name of James Egan Holmes that went into a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado during a midnight screening and he was dressed in tactical clothing. He went in and set off tear gas. He shot into the audience with various different firearms, end result killing 12 people and injuring some 70 others. In a notebook that had been written by him, they found where he had described his plans to act out this violence. On December 14th of 2012, there's a 21-year-old young man by the name of Adam Lanza that went to an elementary school in Sandy Hook shot 20 children dead, six adult staff members. Prior to going to the school, he went to the house and shot his mother. They say he tried to find his father to kill him and then eventually turned the gun upon himself and shot himself. 2007, Virginia Tech, over 30 people lost their life at the results of a madman gone wild with a firearm. There was a man by the name of Leonard Holt in the state of Pennsylvania. It was said of him in the community he was a paragon of respectability. 
He was a middle-aged man. He was a hard-working man. He worked at the same place for over 19 years. He was a Boy Scout leader. He, had a, he was an affectionate father. He was a member of the local fire brigade. He was a member of the local church. He was admired by his community until one day, for whatever reason, he got up and took a gun to work. And before the day was over, he had shot over 15 people stone cold dead in a rage. They come to find out when the, when the police and the SWAT team came, he was, he was slobbering and screaming profanity, daring them to come get him. And what had been churning down under the surface of this seemingly innocent, well-loved, church-going, affectionate father in the community was the fact that for 19 years he had sat there on the job being passed over on promotion day. When raises were handed out, he didn't feel like he got his just reward. Can I tell you, it'll take the most kindest and gentle man, the most godly and sincere saint of God. Bitterness, wounds and hurts left undealt with on the inside can make people do things that have no explanation. I come with a burden to this meeting. In the last three to five years, brethren, we have lost some wonderful men of God. I have lost heroes that I looked up to. That I nearly worshipped the ground they walked on. I thank God every day for the influence that they had in my life. And all of a sudden the phone would ring. All of a sudden at a meeting somebody would say, Have you heard so and so left his wife of 20, 25, 30 years. So and so resigned a work that he started and built from the ground up preaching truth into a community that never had a church before. I hope I'm not on something that I ought not be on. But I ask the question, I I sit down in my chair feeling as if the wind has been driven out of me. And I say, why? Why would they do that? What are they thinking about their children's future? How this is going to affect their kids? What are they thinking about how this will affect their downline? Oh, God, help me today preach Jesus. Oh, it is of utmost importance that we take a diligent look inside. The wise man in the book of Proverbs, the fourth chapter, and the 23rd verse said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. I look across this crowd this afternoon and I remember Tulsa last summit and there are men that are not here that were there at that summit that I would have never believed. God help us today to look after one another. To have one another's back. I know things have been done wrong. I know there are people going the wrong way, but we don't help the matter. By hashing, rehashing, hashing, and rehashing, God help us that our spirit doesn't get happy, that we don't sit and laugh and chuckle. Our Bible says, for we know that afterward, that Esau, we know that afterward, Esau would have inherited the blessing, but he was rejected. And the reason why he was rejected is because he found no place to repent. In other words, he found no place where he could lay it down and leave it there. His brother had his lunch. His brother had his victory. He said, when dad's gone, I'm going to kill him. Can I tell you, when you harbor hurt long enough, you'll have murder in your heart. You'll pick up a gun and you'll go into a crowded fellowship room and you'll leave people dead and dying in their blood. And people will say, what caused that? Why are they going this direction? Why are they going that direction? The things that nobody can see can kill you. The man that said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me didn't have it right. Sticks and stones may break our bones, but words can kill you.
I said words can kill you. God help us how we enact and activate the words of our mouth. The psalmist prayed in the 19th Psalm, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Can I tell you what you're meditating on your heart will come out your mouth. What's going on the inside will eventually spew forth from your mouth. Oh God, my strength and my redeemer, help me to pay diligence to my own spirit and heart. Hallelujah. I don't know how long I have. Hallelujah. I know this is heavy. I know it's heart preaching, but I'm going to tell you we need this right now. This precious movement, we've got the right, we've got the right spirit, our desires, our outlooks. I, I believe so. That's why I'm here. I have two small children. I was talking to Sister Archer today. I believe over 50% of our church there at home, the church that God has called me to pastor, is under the age of 50. And I'm so grateful to be privileged to be their pastor. But I worry about the future that they look for. And that's why I'm here. I want men, like I've heard preach here, talking to my babies. I want young people like I see walking around here and at other conferences. I want them to meet the young people that I pastor. I want my children to meet good, godly young people that come from churches that preach like dad. So they can know I'm not crazy. We're down on the bottom of Florida. It seems like we're isolated. Amen. But, but I know we're not. There's people all over this world preaching just like we do, believing the same thing we do. And I believe we need to maintain this good, wholesome, God-fearing, message-loving spirit that we have. But I'll tell you how it's going to be jeopardized. Somebody said this couldn't be jeopardized. Well, how's come every others have? You know why? Because we deal with the same human condition. We have feelings and we get hurt. We have to deal with it and properly put it in its place. I'm not old enough. I'm not well-known enough to be preaching this today, but this is what the Lord gave me we got to be careful with the words we say because once we say them, they can only be forgiven, not forgotten. I'm preaching a message that's the hardest thing to do in Christianity. It's the hardest thing for me to preach, but it's the hardest thing for me to do. And everything in the future determines on whether or not I do what I'm preaching about. Hallelujah. We're hurt by problems that are common to the human condition. Oftentimes, we find ourselves in the condition, the end result of responding in bitterness. A cold acid of bitterness spills over into our thinking, spills over in our speech. It affects our relationships. It creates an attitude and an environment of alienation. Amen. Bitterness will create a mentality of alienation. I say that because isolation is physical. You can be alone. But when you're alienated, you can be in a crowd and feel like you're all alone. Alienation is different from distance or isolation in that it is uh, isolation or distance is a physical removal. But alienation can be looked at as an inward mental estrangement. It creates a mentality that wears its identity as, I've been hurt. Everybody's against me. Everybody's looking down on us. They become cynical. They become uncaring. They develop a caustic nature. They become highly argumentative. They're enveloped by a judgmental spirit. They become critical in their attitude. And this is all a result of somebody doing them wrong. Sure, but not forgiving it. The writer in Colossians says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Oh, hallelujah. Will you stay with me just for a moment? Hallelujah. Paul was talking in the book of Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, verse number 18, he said, All things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself 
by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. In a world that's got this ministry and that ministry, the one that came from God was one of reconciliation. And he went on to say that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not impugning their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Let what my efforts are in ministry, let their outcome and their goal be to somehow reconcile somebody to Jesus. Let the words that I say, the the message that I live and preach, let it be one of reconciliation. If I can say anything today, let it be words of edification to encourage you that I am where you're at. I've heard the scornful remarks. I've faced the criticism. I know what it's like. I know what people say. But let me ask you this question. Does that have to mean I need to let it bury down in my spirit and make me feel the need to defend myself? There are two things about God that God refuses to share. One is his glory and another is his vengeance. And as long as I have the sword of vengeance in my hand against my brother, God will not lift a finger to vindicate me. But if we want God on our side, let's keep our peace and keep walking. Let's keep our peace and keep preaching. Let's not take our sword at a brother. God help us in this Christian army not to not to kill our wounded. Oh hallelujah. Hallelujah. God help me to wrap this up in a manner that would be pleasing. Bitterness will clog our channel of prayer. Jesus said and when you stand praying forgive. If you have aught against any that your father Also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. And then he said, but if you forgive not, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespassing. So forgiving one another permits God to forgive us. God deals with us according as how we deal to others. There's one thing certain, you'll not escape consequence. However you treat your brother will be the same that you will be treated. Christ was giving instruction on prayer. We heard it just earlier. He said, when you're praying, pray after this manner. The elder preached and taught about it. But in verse number 12 of that same chapter, Matthew chapter 6, he said, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. He went on to say, for if you forgive men their trespasses, that if is a contingency word. If you do this, if you forgive men their trespasses, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive Your trespasses. So what I'm preaching today is heaven or hell. What I'm preaching today, if not practice, will lend your holiness of no effect. We can shout and scream, and I believe it, and I practice it, preach it, and live it. Separation from the world. Come out from among them and be ye separate. The very next verse of scripture, having therefore these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from things that will defile our spirit and affect our attitude, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You can't have one and not the other. The man that is holy is a peaceable man. A man that is a peaceable man will be a holy man. But you cannot be one or the other. God, let us maintain a holiness movement. And to do so, we have got to learn how to deal with hurt, wounds, and pain. Bitterness stops up our praise and worship. It clogs up our prayer channels. Jesus said, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, 
and rememberest that thy brother ought, has ought against thee. Leave therefore thy gift before the altar and go thy way and first be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer your gift. God's not looking for praise from people that are carrying baggage. Oh, hallelujah. We all justify our bitterness. I said we all do. We make statements like, I'm not bitter. I'm just hurt. Oh, yeah. And if you're hurt, and I, I know it doesn't take no deep prophetic unction of the Holy Ghost to look out across a crowd of preachers and ascertain that somebody in this room has the potential of coming hurt. There's preachers' children that walk away from God because they're hurt. There's preachers' wives that literally hate their husband because of hurt. Oh, this is uncomfortable. We don't like to talk about it. But there's tragedy around us all because we try to justify it. And when it comes right down to it, we can't do anything to change it. You can't stop from hurts coming. Offenses are going to come. Jesus said to his disciples, it is impossible. But that offenses will come. But woe to him by whom they come. He said it would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. That it be cast into sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. God help me not to be the one that starts hurting people. And hurting them simply because I haven't dealt with my own personal issue. My own personal hurt. That I live my life alienated from others because somebody hurt me. So I then think everybody feels that way. Somebody said something about us. So we think that everybody feels that way about us. Misconceptions can make you treat people in strange ways. Can make you act weird. Alienation will make a weird man out of you. But can I tell you if we can forgive. Forgiveness does not mean we forget. Forgiveness said, I'm not just going to hold this to your charge anymore. I know what you did, but I'm not going to bring it up every time I get the opportunity. Oh, hallelujah. I want the Holy Ghost to do something in this midst when I'm done preaching. I, I, I hope it's not, I hope it's not uh, too much to think that God couldn't minister to us right now. Amen. After this message that we could all pray for one another and gather around and, and let the Holy Ghost do a work in our midst. Holiness is commanded. And forgiveness is commanded. God gave us an outline on how to deal with people that hurt us. We have no control over the hurts that we receive. But we can control our reaction to the things that hurt us. You cannot go back in your past and undo anything. Unsay any word change any event that's already taken place just as well as you cannot look into your future and alter the outcome of anything that's coming your way the only thing that can change is right now is right now I refuse to be the man that runs this race while looking over my shoulder feeling like I'm the only one that feels the way I felt or has been dealt the way I'm dealt hallelujah hallelujah he said, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn him the other also. And if any man will sue you at law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. God, make us a two-mile church in a one-mile world. I want to leave these. There's a few things that I feel the Holy Ghost spoke to me to leave. And, and if I'm wrong, just forgive me. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop. This is a powerful thing that I've tried to take and practice in my life. 
as American, we have a strong feeling about our own personal rights. It's my inalienable right to the pursuit of life and happiness. That may be the American way, but I don't know if it fits too well in the church. Our own rights are not more important than our relationships. If the Worldwide Pentecostal Fellowship will do what I believe God has for it to do, it will be built on strong relationships. Thank God for powerful preaching. We have heard some astoundingly good preaching. We're not hurting for preaching. The famine in our land is for people to hear it and, and eat it. We don't need better preachers. We need to cultivate more relationships between us. Because there's coming a day where I'm going to come to my wit's end and not know what to do. But God gave you to me. And God gave me to you. So that we can make. Looking diligently. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could all stand to our feet right now. Hallelujah. I wonder if we could entertain an attitude and a spirit. To let the Holy Ghost do a work. Open up our hearts. Open up our ears in this house. Hallelujah. 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 Luke chapter 6 and verse 36. As we're all standing says. Be ye therefore merciful. As your Father in heaven. Is also. Merciful. In our efforts today. I want to leave couple more things in the closing of this service. The Apostle Peter came to the Lord and he asked this question of the Lord. He said, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? I think a lot like him. You do something to me once and say, I'm sorry, I'll forgive you. You do it twice, I'll try to forgive you and and believe that you're sincere. But the apostle Peter was, uh, Peter was standing there that day and stretching out real far. And he said, until seven times? Thinking, surely that would be all that the Lord would require of me. Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee until seven times. But until seventy times seven. And what I see in that passage is, son, you're going to have to stay committed to this thing called forgiveness. Because you can do what you want to. You can try to hide. You can try to turtle up and find a corner of the world somewhere and say, if I don't make any more friends, I'll never be hurt. Or you could venture out and, like we are right here, seeking help of one another, strength from one another. I don't know where you came from this year, but I pastor like you. And it's a very real world. I'm, I'm preaching things today that I wish I had mastered. But I stand before you today in need of God's forgiveness. Over and over again, God has been faithful to me. Jesus recited to him a story. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. When he had begun to reckon, one of his servants was brought to him which owed him 10,000 talents. I read in another rendition from a commentator, the Amplified Bible says that the equivalent of what he owed the king was somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 million debt. And for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold his wife, his children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. If we're honest with ourselves and with the Lord, we would all say each of us have a debt that we couldn't possibly pay if we had ten lifetimes. And the servant did what I've done so many times. He fell down, 
and worshiped his master, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, and he loosed him, and he forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence, laid his hands upon him, took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. According to that same commentator said it was probably the equivalent of some $20 that his brother owed him. And his fellow servant, being a man like he, fell down at his feet. And he besought him, saying, the same thing he said, have patience with me, and I'll pay you all. He would not do it. He went and cast him into prison till all that he owed was paid. When his fellow servants saw what was done, the Bible says that they were very sorry, and they came and told their Lord all that was done. And his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desiredest me. Should not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant and as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Can I say to you, there is no tormentor like the tormentor of bitterness. Jesus said, so likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. Can I tell you the answer today? is forgiveness. The healing that's in the house today is letting go of it. God, let me live a life that already predetermines that you cannot do anything to me that can ever make me hate you. I will not fight you. I love you. I need you. You're human like me. The thought of trying to make it without you is something I'm not willing to entertain. Therefore, I must know to maintain it. I must forgive. Is it okay to invite everyone? I wonder if we could gather around in a place, reach across somewhere. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. I believe right now God will do something if we allow it. In this room, there's a powerful presence of the Lord. Let's let God work on us right now. I don't think there's anybody that doesn't need to hear what the Lord's word has said. I want to be holy. Holy like you I want to be holy